Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis. In our study in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and look at this story of God's redemptive plan. God creating the world perfectly, man messing the whole thing up by our desire to be our own gods, to make our own decisions, to determine our own righteousness, to figure out what's best for ourselves, trusting our own desires more than we trust God's word. And what we've seen so far in the story is chapter 3 changed everything, didn't it? Or perfect relationships between God and man, man and creation, man and woman. And then chapter 3 comes along and every issue you've ever had in your marriage is because of chapter 3 of Genesis. Every one of your children who just didn't do what they were supposed to do is because of chapter 3 in Genesis. Every disagreement, every time you've tried to do the right thing and punched yourself in the face, shot yourself in the foot, it's because of Genesis chapter 3. And that's just the small stuff. What we see in Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5 is the downward spiral of sin. That the world, when buying into we make our own decisions and we follow our own desires and we listen to the whisper of the the serpent, the whisper of the one who would deceive us, and we then listen to and follow after the desires of our own hearts. When we see that, it spirals the world and the culture out of control. But there's good news. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we're told that though there would be enmity between the serpent and the woman, between the offspring of the one who is the deceiver, the, the deceived, and her offspring, this one would come and would crush the head of the serpent. There's a redeemer who's coming and he'll come through Eve. He'll come through Eve's line. Genesis 3.20 tells us that the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And that's going to be important for some questions you've got to answer in chapters 4 and 5. Like, where did Cain's wife come from? We'll get to that in a little while. Okay, everybody's just wondering. Who was it that wanted to kill Cain and he was so worried about? Every living person came through Eve is what we're told. And so that's going to clear up some things as we go through. But don't get sidetracked. We'll, we'll just spend a little time on it, the interesting questions. But don't get sidetracked from the point of chapter 4. The point of chapter 4 is to show us this, and you're going to see it as it's laid out. There are two lines that come from Eve. One that leads to a path of destruction, following the way of sin outside of the presence of the Lord, not seeking his face. Much like Adam and Eve hid from God, they would hide in the shadows and the darkness and follow after the way of their own sin, not desiring to be in the presence of the Lord so that their sin would be exposed, as John uh, 3 tells us. Then there's the line of Seth. There's a line of Seth, and there's good news from the line of Seth, because from Seth's line would come the covenant, would come the new covenant, and would come faith. So today, I pray that you'll see good news here, but you'll also see the answer to the question, why is the world the way it is? You see, the promise of God's grace would be kept through the seed of the woman. And that should remind us that God gives children by his grace to accomplish his purposes. Your children exist to accomplish God's purposes, not your own. To fulfill his dreams for them, not your dreams for them. And we must remember that they are a gift 
of God's grace. And I know that's hard to do sometimes, right? It's hard to remember that they are a gift of God's grace and not just a punishment for how bad you were when you were a kid, right? But even then, did your parents ever tell you that? I hope you'll see when you have kids. Anybody, your parents ever tell you that? You'll, you'll, yeah, right? But they are the chief discipliners of our souls, aren't they? To teach us our selfishness, our self-righteousness, to show us our own sin, to show us how we follow after our own desires and not after the desires of the Lord because we want them to be better. So my prayer for you as parents today, especially for the dads here, is that we would ask ourselves the question, what do we want to produce in our children? What do we want to see God do by his grace? So if you would follow along in your copy of God's word, Genesis chapter four, and I hope you see why the world is the way it is, but also the way of hope and the way of the Lord here. Verse one, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This is her recognition that the child that is born is a gift from God, is a grace of the Lord. God has poured out his grace to keep his covenant. He could have wiped Adam and Eve off the face of the earth when they sinned. He could have started all over, but he's keeping his promise that they would be fruitful and multiply. And even in the midst of childbearing, which is painful now for her, she is able to say, look at God's grace with the help of the Lord. I have gotten a man. So man and woman and now created man. This is the beauty of what God's doing through Eve. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. Then his face fell. Notice Cain is angry at God because God didn't accept his act of worship. As righteous and acceptable. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? See the discipline and the grace of the Lord even then. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael father Methusiel and Methusiel fathered Lamech. And we'll get to Lamech in a minute because here's where you see the deterioration of the entire society. See, there's a thing that happens. Sin tends to have generational consequences. 
Some of you are dealing with that from the sins of your fathers, the sins of your grandfathers, the sins of your great-grandfathers. Some of you right now are seeing your children deal with your sins and the effects of your sins. And you want them to find redemption. But in Cain's case, what we see is a downward spiral where there is no redemption. No seeking of the face of the Lord. No seeking of redemption. No seeking of God for running after his own way. This is the world we live in. A world that is fraught with sin. A world that is eaten up with selfishness. A world that is eaten up with violence and death. We could call it a culture of death. And yet what God desires for us is a culture of life. We in this room, as followers of Christ, must be the ones who stand for a culture of life. We live in a world where murder is an every day, every hour, every minute reality. We live in a world where one tribe will wipe out another tribe. We live in a world where millions of babies die every year before they ever have a chance to be born. That's the world we live in. And we can throw up our hands and say, what can we do? Or we can be life. I want you to see, even in a culture of death, what it looks like to be life. But it starts by looking at the difference between Cain and Abel. Look, there's two brothers. They have the same mom, same dad. So you can't say like it, their development here psychologically was because of you know, their parents. and No, I mean, they're just complete opposites, right? One is righteous before God. One is not righteous before God. And, and there have been commentators and preachers in the past who have said, you know, God actually liked Abel's sacrifice because he sacrificed animals, and God likes animal sacrifices more than grain sacrifices. The only problem with that is the Old Testament tells people to make grain sacrifices and animal sacrifices, both which are pleasing to the Lord. So that's not the issue. So what is it about Cain and Abel? And so let's look at the two of them. Remembering this, that Cain's sin came for his his own desire. James tells us plainly that though we are tempted, sin comes from our own desires. We hate and kill and fight and quarrel. Why? Because we want something and can't get it. And Cain's desire was to be pleasing to the Lord. Odd way to go about it, right? He makes a sacrifice before the Lord. It doesn't please God. So his reaction is anger and murder. We can be so guilty of the same thing. At the heart of all sin is the whisper of Satan. Satan telling us God is not good, that he doesn't want what's best for us, that he's not fair, that he's not righteous. But there's also the desire of our own hearts to determine what's righteous and what's good on our own. Cain was a farmer, just like his father. Right? That was... It was Adam's job. He tended a garden. So Cain was just like his dad. Abel was a shepherd. They were both noble professions, both filled with cultivation and care. God had told Adam and Eve, he had commanded that man and woman go, be fruitful and multiply, to inhabit the earth, but also to subdue the earth, to execute dominion over the earth, to care for the earth. To be his people, his ambassadors on the earth. And Cain and Abel were doing that well. But then it came time for sacrifices. Uh, The way the text puts it is interesting. Evidently, this had been going on for a while, right? And it says that in the course of time, verse 3. 
So they probably made sacrifices before. We don't know how much time has passed here, but it's probably a pretty lengthy amount of time. Maybe to the point that they were teenagers at this point, meaning they were about 100 or 120 years old. So back then I was teenagers, right? So when your dad's living to 900 and some odd years old, being 100, you're still a baby, right? So maybe, maybe Cain was born when Adam and Eve were like 30, because they were adults then 30, right? And then they lived for 900 more years. Maybe it's been 100 years. But there's been time that's passed. They've learned from their father what sacrifice looks like because God himself sacrificed an animal to cover up the sins of Adam and Eve. To cover up their transgressions and their shame. So sacrifice is not something new. These aren't the first sacrifices. God has already taken care of that in the garden. And they come before the Lord and make sacrifices. Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. Why? Well, his was of the first fruits. It says that the first fruits of his flock and of their fat portions. Another way of putting this would be this was the best he had to offer. God wasn't going to get his leftovers. This was the best he had to offer. God was worthy of his best. Cain's sacrifice, it says he brought some of the fruit. <laughs> there was an offering of the fruit of the ground. Think about this for just a second. Anybody ever been apple picking? What's rule number one of apple picking? Why? Well, is don't climb the trees? No, that's half the fun of apple picking. I don't know where, what apple orchard you're going to, but that's what you do. <laughs> right? No, you don't pick the ones up off the ground, even though they look great, right? Until you flip them over, right? They can look great on top, you flip them over. Now, What he's doing is, I'm not saying he's bringing rotten fruit before the Lord, but he's not bringing his choice fruits. The comparison here is between the first fruits and fat portions, the best of the flock, and Cain just brings some fruit. You could bring a lot more fruit than the fat portions, but if they're not your best, then they're not demonstrating something. And this is what's being demonstrated by Abel, faith. See, Abel's sacrifice was acceptable not because it was animals or fat portions, but because it was given in faith. In fact, Scripture bears that out, that we have an example of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith. Guess who shows up? Abel. He gets like one verse of Scripture, one or two verses of Scripture, and that's it in Genesis, right? And then he shows up in the hall of faith. In Hebrews 11, and this is what it says in verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. What was the difference between their sacrifices? One was a sacrifice of faith, and one wasn't. Now, I'm not going to talk to you today about your giving, because I don't know what you give. But I will ask you this question. Do you give first, or do you give after? Do we give our best and the first, or do we give what's left over? You see, that's the mark of faith, isn't it, when it comes to money, when it comes to what we produce? Do we give to God as an act of faith? Here's my best, because I know you can produce more for me. Or do we keep that and hand him what's left over? Because we don't really trust him to take care of our needs and to provide for us.
That's what's at stake here. Faith in God's ability to provide, remembering that everything that was given to them was an act of God's grace and his power. That's why we pray things like, give us this day our daily bread. We don't pray, God, help me to produce bread apart from you. We say, give us this day our daily Everything you produce in your job is something that God has given you. Everything cultivated by Adam, by Eve, by Cain, by Abel is a gift from the Lord. Now, what do we do with those things? So Abel demonstrates faith. Cain demonstrates no faith. There's obedience. He's making a sacrifice. There's even, in some ways, maybe even a seeking of honoring the Lord on some level, but there's no faith. Reminder for just a second. Okay. There are no righteous acts in your life apart from faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. So no matter how righteous the act looks, if it's not done in faith, there's nothing righteous about it. There's nothing acceptable about it. Which brings us to the question, really, of Worship itself. Think, think about what we're doing in here. What a great grace it is for us to be able to worship the Lord. I mean, I'm just, did you spend like six hours today confessing all of your sins before the Lord before walking through this door? <laughs> Anybody? Because that might have like just taken care of the surface stuff, right? If we're being honest in our lives. The, the number of things we do in our normal day that aren't acts of faith, but are acts in our own strength. We don't spend time, but when we come in and we worship the Lord and oftentimes he accepts our worship. <laughs> what great grace and mercy of the Lord. That when we sing, he would be among us. He would inhabit the praises of his people, even in our faulty ways, because we're exercising faith. But really, even that faith is a great grace of the Lord. You've been saved by grace through faith. And that is not of yourself. It is a gift from God. What a great gift to be able to worship the Lord. Such an act of grace and an act of mercy from God. And and if worship comes from the Lord, the ability to worship is an act of grace of the Lord, then doesn't it stand to reason that only God would be able to determine what acceptable worship looks like? If grace shows us that we can come before the Lord, it's only by his grace that we get there. Doesn't it stand to reason then that he gets to determine what type of worship is acceptable? See, that was Cain's problem. Cain brought a sacrifice, thought, did my duty, right? Here's my sacrifice. God does not accept it. So what happens to Cain? The text tells us he was angry and his face fell. You ever had your face fall? Like you were angry and everybody knew it. Like there was that moment where you just couldn't hide it anymore and your face fell and you realized that everybody around you knows what's going on in your mind. That's what happened. His whole countenance changed. He changed from the inside out due to this anger. This anger would lead him to a lie to the Lord. Where's your brother? I don't know. I mean, imagine that. Adam didn't even do that, right? 
they at least told half-truths. He just flat out lies. But his anger leads him down the road that he's so angry at God that he takes the life of his brother. Now, think about what he does in taking the life of his brother. We don't know how he did it. We don't know if this is the first stabbing. We don't know if this is a bash over the head with a rock. We don't know how he did it. We just know in a field he killed his brother. What is he doing? He's destroying what only God can make. He's destroying the image of God on another person. So in his anger against God, he destroys the only face of God he can see. You wonder why we hate each other when we're angry? Because we're really angry at God. Because he's not fair. Because he's not good. And we take that out on people. Why? Because they bear his image. They're the only things we can see that bear his image. So you wonder why you're angry at people? Because you're angry at God. You wonder why you hate people? Because you're angry at God. That's why faith becomes such a key to the story. And you're going to see Cain walk down a road of no faith. And you're going to see what it produces. Cain's anger and self-centeredness spirals downward to murder. James 3 and 4 tells us it's exactly what happens. We, we want and we do not have, so we murder. So we kill. So we quarrel. So we fight. When, he, when confronted with his improper worship of God, Cain's anger leads him to hate his brother and destroy his brother. But when confronted about his sin, Cain being guilty and knowing his guilt just leads him to condemnation. Cain is the perfect example of what it looks like, what John 3 tells us, that those who um, see the light but their deeds of darkness, they don't want their deeds of darkness to be known, so they hang out in the darkness all the time. Cain is the perfect example of that. God comes. God already knows what he did. God says, I can hear your brother's blood crying out from the ground. And Cain lies. Deepens the condemnation and the guilt. So what happens? God sends Cain out of his presence. I just want you to understand this for just a second. Didn't you think, maybe you were like me for years, you thought, that when Adam and Eve left the garden, they left the presence of God? You notice God has not left them? God is talking to the evil guy, Cain, the first murderer. He demonstrates his grace by disciplining Cain, and Cain's reaction is, I don't need you, God. So oftentimes in our sin, we think that God has left us. But I want you to understand, God disciplines those whom he loves and he draws near to those even in their sin. That's our hope, is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so in your sin today, I need you to know that God draws near. If you're his child, he'll draw near and he'll discipline you. Accept his discipline for what it is. It's grace. It's grace. Cain didn't accept the discipline. Cain rejected the discipline. Cain rejected God, and he found himself in condemnation. God curses him and tells him that he will be one who will be wandering. I love that word. Isn't that what the world is doing? Blind, wandering, blind leading the blind. 
Verse 11 says, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. He'll be a wanderer with no eternal security in the promises of God. In fact, we're told that he goes east of Eden to the land of Nod. And if you're wondering what the land of Nod is, it wasn't like the land of Oz, which is like this emerald city set up by some other people. The land of Nod simply means it's a land of wandering. It was outside the presence of the Lord. God wasn't going to be protecting him with his presence. He wasn't going to be the one talking to him. He was going to have to be on his own. He was going to be given over to his sin, as Romans 1 would tell us. He's rejected the image of God for the image of the created. And now he'll be given over into his sin. He's going to be hated. Hated by who? Who's he afraid of? He says, you, you made this too hard on me, God. My punishment is greater than I can bear. You've driven me out today from the ground. I'm not even going to be able to work the ground anymore. I'm not going to be able to produce anything. I'm a, I'm a farmer and I'm not going to, the ground's not going to be giving me its fruit anymore. And I'm going to be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Who's he afraid of? I thought it was just like Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Who's he afraid of? You already killed one guy. So who's he afraid of? Well, let, let me just answer this question for just a second, okay? The cue is later on in the text. And Adam and Eve had many more sons and daughters. So I'll just ask you the question. If I killed my brother, wouldn't I be worried the rest of my siblings are after me? That my nieces and nephews were after me? <laughs> Maybe Abel was married. It's not talked about there. And maybe his kids are after me. I mean, in a culture of death, vengeance becomes ours. But look at God's mercy. Oh, you won't be killed, Cain. No, I'll place a mark on you. So that everyone will know not to touch you. And if anyone does kill you, my vengeance will be sevenfold, the Lord says. Imagine how deep the mercy of God is. There's no repentance. There's just fear for his life. And yet God is delivering mercy to Cain. How deep is God's mercy? God reaches out to the worst of sinners. So Cain leaves the presence of the Lord. He's going to be hated by his own siblings and family, yet he will be protected by the mercy of God. So he, will, he leaves the presence of the Lord and charts his own path. I want you to see what, what, did, what happened with his kids. So he goes and he has a son. He bore, his wife bore Enoch. Oh, there's the question, isn't it? Who was Cain's wife? <laughs> Actually, in the Scopes trial, I don't know if you guys know about the Scopes trial. It's about creation versus evolution, especially in our school system. This is the question that stumped the lawyer who was standing up for creationism. Who was Cain's wife? His answer was basically, never bothered me before. We've got to be better than that. Okay? So let me give you a couple of possibilities and probabilities because we're not told who Cain's wife is here. But I want you to get a couple of possibilities and probabilities. Here's what I believe. Cain married his sister. And everybody just goes, Ew. But that's our 21st century sensibilities. 
Now you're sitting there and going, I didn't think you could do that. It's against the law. Isn't that against God's law? 2,500 years after this. God's law against marrying siblings or marrying close relatives didn't come until like Leviticus, 2,500 years later. Remember Abraham? What he said about Sarah? I didn't lie. She is my sister. Right? Having close familial relations was not unusual. In fact, it was part of the norm. And now you say, well, what about the genetic deformities? That sort of thing. Well, there were none at this point. You have Adam and Eve. They were perfect genetically. Cain and Abel would have been pretty much perfect genetically, right? It's only later as death really takes a hold, as corruption takes a hold of people genetically that you begin to see that. So now... Year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation. It's now against the law. It's against common law. It's against God's law. But back then it wasn't. So I don't want us to be grossed out by something that God counted as normal. And yet to understand today that it would not be God's design. In fact, it would be evil in God's sight, corrupt in God's sight. But back then... Cain probably married his sister. At the very least, he married his niece. Those would be really the only options at this point. The word for wife here is the same word for woman given to Eve when she was created. So we're just told that there is a woman. In the same way Cain was a man given to Eve, the woman given to Eve from her womb would have been named woman. Right? And so what we're told here is that Cain had a wife. And from his wife, he has a line. He has Enoch. Cain goes and builds a city and shows his pride in what he has accomplished. Not in what God has accomplished, but what he has accomplished. And what does he do? He names the city after his son. Scripture will tell us later that that's what the proud do. The proud go and build cities and name them after themselves. That's what the proud do. And so he's proud of his own ability. He's going to have... A bunch of worldly success. His kids and grandkids and great-grandkids are going to have tons of worldly success. One is going to be the one who kind of starts the whole nomadic herding and tent-dwelling thing. Abraham comes from that. Abraham was that way. Abraham was the richest man on the planet at the time. This is not, not bad to be a herder and a nomadic person. One's going to be the father of all arts. The musician and an artist. The arts are beautiful. The arts bring us joy. We're told to sing unto the Lord. He's going to be the guy who makes that possible. One's going to forge um, instruments that can be used to build things, but also instruments of war. Isn't it interesting how all of that culture could be great success, and yet every single bit of it could also be used for evil? In Cain's line, They had great worldly success, but they weren't walking with the Lord. The promises of God are not going to be fulfilled through cultural success. Instead, what we see is a downward spiral of sin. All the way down to Lamech. And I want you to see Lamech. 
Here's what Lamech did. And this is the beginning of so many problems. Lamech took two wives. See, we get grossed out by Cain married his sister. Here's what God gets grossed out by. Lamech took two wives. God's design was one man, one woman. Lamech goes his own way. The new culture of death coming through Cain's line, the new culture of violence against God, against his creation, against God's purposes, against God's people, is demonstrated best here in this chapter in Lamech. He redefines marriage on his own terms. He marries two women. Then he goes and begins to, I don't know, dance in front of his wives and sing a song or something. You can just almost imagine him like loincloth sword, like beating his chest, showing how manly he is. And this is what he says to his wives. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. He really... Cain was angry at God, killed his brother. Lamech says, dude bumped into me at the store. So I slit his throat. I think it was in an old western at one point. He was snoring. I didn't like the way he snored or something like that. Right? I mean, that, that's the culture we live in now. Road rage. It all starts here. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Lamech redefines marriage. He escalates violence and he executes his own vengeance. What did God say about vengeance? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So what's Lamech doing? He's setting himself in the place of God, defining what only God can define. Executing what only God should execute. Putting himself in the place of God to determine his own righteousness. This is the world we live in. It's Lamech's world. It's Cain's world. Oh, but the grace of God. (laughs) The story doesn't end there, does it? Look at the end of the story. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. Is see interesting how there's bookends at the beginning of chapter 4 and the end of chapter 4. Look how it ends. She called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. God has given me another man. God is keeping his promises. There will be a line that will walk with the Lord. There will be a line that will point to the Redeemer who's coming. There will be someone from my seed who will crush the head of the serpent. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And then this is the best line in the whole chapter, isn't it? At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the great grace of God. No matter how things turned out, no matter how bad Cain's line was, no matter how much this part of the world was destroying God's creation. God was not done pouring out his grace and his mercy upon the earth. God would keep his promises. They would not fail because of the sin of Cain and his descendants. There would be another line through Seth, a line that would lead to people of faith. Folks, I want you to understand this. Children are a gift of God's grace. They're meant to discipline us. They're meant to show us our need of God. 
But we also have a responsibility to them. To be an example for them of one who cries out to the Lord. To be like Seth's line. To be faithful to the Lord and cry out to the Lord. Our sins will have generational effects. If we walk our own path, determine our own righteousness, walk our own violent way, seek vengeance for ourselves, seek what's fair in our own eyes and not what's righteous in God's eyes, our children will follow us. They will follow us down that path. But if we call upon the name of the Lord, our children will follow us and call upon the name of the Lord. Abel's blood cries out from the earth. Abel in his faith and his faithfulness. And yet there is a better word from the Lord. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. His sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So if you find yourself today and you're walking a path of destruction, a path that just leaves a wake of death and hatred and looking over your shoulder and wonder who's after you. You're wandering in your own path and you're looking at your kids and they're not walking with the Lord and you're wondering, what did I do wrong? I want you to stop looking at what you did wrong. And start looking at Jesus who speaks a better word and what he did right. See what Jesus has done for you. Because he has obeyed the Lord perfectly. And he has died in your place. Speaking a better word over you than any righteousness, any goodness, any faithfulness that you could ever have. And it's better than any of your unfaithfulness and it can replace your unfaithfulness and sin. With his righteousness and goodness. Here's what you have to understand. The world comes from Cain's line spiritually. Jesus comes from Seth's line. Oh, that we would be people, fathers, mothers, who would produce in our children not just worldly success, but instead those who would call upon the name of the Lord. What do you desire for your kids? You realize Adam and Eve's kids were probably, Adam and Eve were the smartest people to ever live on the earth. You realize that, right? Think about that. The smartest people to ever live on the earth. Their kids, second smartest people to ever live on the earth. Like, Think about what they were able to accomplish in worldly success. They're building cities. Nobody told them how to do that. They're, they're making instruments of like building and of war. Nobody taught them to do that. There was no like go to the library, check it out. No YouTube videos. They just figured it out. They're writing music and they didn't have music class. They had to make the instruments to make the sound for music. What? They were brilliant, brilliant people walking the way of this world. Cultural success, worldly success, does not equal calling upon the name of the Lord. Oh, that we would understand what's needed for our children. Hey, my kids are brilliant. And I love how smart they are. Right? And I'd be happy if they weren't homeschooled. Maybe I should be like my homeschooler. You know, got really good scores on her homeschooling test. I don't know, but I don't have a bumper sticker for them. And I'm proud of my kids. But Adam and Eve's bumper sticker would 
kill our bumper stickers. And their kids, grandkids. Can you imagine 900 years of living as Adam watching grandkids walking the way of destruction? What mercy and grace that God only gives us, like 80. But here's the good news. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be saved, not could be saved, but will be saved. Out of a culture of death, out of the culture of Cain, taken out of this line and brought into a kingdom of light. I want that for you. I want that for my kids. I want that for my grandkids. I want that for every person I meet to be brought out of darkness into light. If you desire that today, I want to make that available to you because Jesus makes that available by his sacrifice, by his death and his resurrection. He makes himself available to you today that you would call upon his name to be saved, to trust him, to exercise faith in him. Because you could keep coming to church, but if it's not an exercise of faith, it's not pleasing to him. You can keep singing the songs, you can keep reading your Bible, but if you're not trusting him and placing your faith in him, none of it is pleasing to him. Oh, that we would be acceptable to the Lord and that we would pray the same thing and provide the same thing to our children. So here's how I want to close today. I'm going to ask if you are a father in the room, if you would stand up. I'm going to ask you guys to come up front. This might be a little uncomfortable for you. That's fine. I have to stand up here every week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just want you guys to pay attention here for a second. Hey, ladies, those in your shoes, kids, there are almost as many guys up here as there are people left in the pews. That's weird. <laughs> that doesn't happen in today's church. Don't miss the grace of God. We had more men up front in first service than we had left people left in the pews. And this is this is what our this is what our church looks like. These are men that that the Lord has provided for our families and for this spiritual family. Pray for them. We, the world and books and Christianity is way too quick to beat them down, but they showed up today. A lot of other guys are doing a lot of fun stuff today, right? Don went fishing yesterday and is here today. <laughs> How many guys are fishing today? a great gift of God's grace in our church and I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage you in your walk with the Lord to lead well. I want to thank you for your example to our church for being here. Showing up is the, one of the biggest things you can do. And I want to thank the Lord for you in that. So I'm going to ask right now, we're going to close this way. I'm going to ask if you have a loved one up here or just someone you want to encourage. Um, 
that you can come up and stand with them. That to show you're going to stand with them, you're going to support them, you're going to encourage them, we're going to pray together, we're going to be done. Okay? But I don't want you to miss this. Guys, we have a responsibility to our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids and the next 900 years of people coming from our lives. But it starts with the people in this room to continue to be faithful. But we need your prayers more than anybody. So would you just move down and then we'll close with prayer. We'll just ask you to pray for a couple moments with them. For those who will be left in the seats, just pray. If you're a mom with your sons, pray for your sons that they would love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and they would lead their families to love the Lord. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And if you want to whisper in the ear of those you're standing with, that's that's fine. And pray for them, and then I'll close our time of prayer. But let's celebrate what the Lord has done. you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who walked you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, and now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you that sojourners and 